Time once again for Second Helping, the first choice among podcasts. For fans and followers of the top league and all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network. Back with you alongside my great friend and co-host, Brent Beard. College football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Also a longtime voter in the race for the Heisman Trophy. We're going to have some Heisman Trophy discussion with Brent on this SEC championship game preview of second helping. Brent, uh, it's only Thursday, but I know like a lot of folks, you're ready to kick this thing off right now, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's go. Uh, But but Trav, the thing is, do, do you ever remember a championship weekend where uh, all the intention has been diverted to everything except what we're going to see on the field? Uh, it's amazing. It really is. You went into the week just thinking it would be Alabama-Georgia talk uh, Monday through kickoff and beyond. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. you have the coaching changes at some of the elite brands and all of the sport with Brian Kelly making the jump from uh, Notre Dame to LSU. We said it on the early week pod, right? We could probably do two pods a day because <laughs> of the carousel oh, and yes. the portal. Forget about even the SEC championship game. Just on the carousel and the portal, we could probably do two pods. And certainly, uh, sure enough, Brent, that night, Monday night, we get the uh, the Brian Kelly bombshell. Well, uh, and usually all these coaching changes – Trev, they have at least something to do with the SEC at some point, right? Because that's kind of where it, it, it ends up coming back to. Uh, and you've got also uh, transfers uh, that, that are going on. You mentioned the Heisman Trophy. Our deadline is Monday at 5 o'clock uh, to, to go along with that. So, uh, and, and then, li- listen, uh, uh, Trev, can you imagine what next week's going to be as far as maybe the uh, – uh, the the assistant coaches, yeah. or cert, or certainly in two weeks after the early signing day. Yeah, that was my my next thought was that yeah we're talking about head coaches, but when you got Brian Kelly going to LSU and it looks like his staff that can stay at Notre Dame, including Marcus Freeman being yes. elevated to the head coach spot, is going to stay in South Bend. That's a lot of spots uh, yes. on that LSU staff that are going to be opened up. You're going to have. Staff discussion, obviously, with Florida and Billy Napier going into Gainesville. So uh, he's got a conference championship game to get through this week with Louisiana. And absolutely, after Saturday's games, this weekend's games, uh, the assistant coach dominoes. If you're some of these programs like Mississippi State and some others, you're trying to protect your guys right now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and then you've got situations, Trav, of teams that that struggle this year, particularly at the end, like an Auburn, now minus a Mike Bobo. Uh, be interesting to see where uh, where he goes and uh, does Brian Harson take that over. And then a, 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 it, he's gone a while. But then the Bo Nix decision comes into uh, uh, <laughs> to form uh, coming up in the next few days and few weeks also. Yeah, it really does. And the interesting dynamic with Mike Bobo out as the offensive coordinator there at Auburn is that his son uh, was committed right. an offensive yes. line prospect oh. to the Auburn Tigers for the 2022 cycle. So uh, a lot of things in play down on the plains on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, 
we want to get into SEC championship game talk. And as a sort of connection to that, certainly we'll talk some Heisman Trophy uh, in relation to Bryce Young's candidacy and maybe some scenarios in which uh, he has to check boxes mm-hmm. to keep himself where he seems to be right now anyway, which is atop that race. And uh, let's get into some of the some of the critical factors with this game, Brent. And I think when you do that, you talk about availability from a roster perspective, yes. injuries for both sides uh, going into this game. Obviously, Alabama, Brian Robinson, that, that's a big question at the running back position after the injury he sustained in the fourth quarter against Auburn last week. Is Alabama going to be down to one scholarship back in the game with Trey Sanders being that back? I think you also look at Georgia and you think about what Will Anderson's able to do in the pass rush Absolutely. and you consider that Jamari Saylor, the starting left tackle for Georgia, has been absent for a couple weeks with an injury. What are we hearing from both camps right now, maybe with more of an emphasis on even Georgia? Kendall Milton's been out, depth Mm -hmm. at running back, though, for Georgia. Not the concern that it is for Alabama. Uh, No, and we've got other guys, Trav, like George Pinkins, uh, who is coming back. Uh, And again, how effective he will be will be very interesting. But, uh, Trav, the, the thing that we've learned over the years uh, with, with schools, you're going to have injuries, but the reality is the guys who have depth and Georgia does running back, and they certainly do it receiver, as we found out. And I think a great example of that is uh, with, with the, the particularly at the receiver spot, we knew somebody had to have st- step up for Dominic Blaylock, for Pickens, well, he has been out. And how about a guy like Brock Bowers who has done that? Trev, I think if you put Georgia's season in a microcosm, it would almost be, yes, we've had injuries, but we've also had guys who've stepped up. Uh, and a guy like Bowers, who right now is arguably uh, certainly one of the better tight ends in the entire league, uh, can block. We know that he can catch, and as we talked about in the last podcast, Trev, the most amazing thing, Bowers catches a ball uh, in that Georgia Tech game and outruns the entire Tech secondary, uh, virtually the entire defense. I think that's what's been huge for Georgia uh, at this point that maybe that that Alabama hasn't had along with these injuries. Yeah, I think. For Georgia, the question we all had going into the season was, where's the playmaking going to come from in the passing game? And back then, you figured it'd be JT Daniels delivering the football. And the expectation of JT Daniels was that he would be a guy that would lift all boats around him in the passing game. It has not played out that way at all, due in large part to a phenomenal season, not only from Brock Bowers, but also Stetson Bennett at the quarterback position after Daniels went out earlier in the season, you know, and you look at this Georgia offense and we do talk about the explosiveness of Brock Bowers. He's averaging nearly 18 yards per reception as a tight end. Now tight end, I use that, that description relatively loosely because we know watching this guy, as you talked about the speed, the open field ability, I've seen Brock Bowers beat safeties this year. I've seen Brock Bowers beat certainly linebackers. I've seen Brock Bowers beat sub-package personnel like star slot corners. He's beaten corners. 
Um, I don't know if there is a good matchup for this guy right now. But even with that said, the key for Alabama defensively still in this game on Saturday is to get Stetson Bennett out of his comfort zone, this offense out of its comfort zone, which is more along the lines of, say, 20 pass attempts. You want to get Stetson Bennett up around 30 or so. And I think part of you also hopes that maybe you get a repeat of the Georgia plan from a year ago in Tuscaloosa where – It felt like Georgia in that game got away from the run game a little bit early, especially when Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and John Mechie and Jalen Waddell started to hit the explosives. Uh, A little bit of panic from Georgia in that game a year ago, maybe from a maturity perspective, not just from a player vantage point, but maybe even from a coaching staff vantage point. This team won't be as quick to, to hit that button this time around. Uh, well, and to dovetail with what you're saying here, one of the game plans was to get into Stenson Bennett's throwing lanes. DJ Dale and Christian Barmore both batted down passes. One of those led to a pick in that game. Uh, and uh, the the other thing that we're seeing, which is just, again, absolutely amazing, something you've called attention to the entire year. Bennett averaged 10.9 yards per pass attempt. Trev, which is second, second in the nation. Would we have dreamed that he would have come close to that, say, back in September? Probably not. And, you know, when you think about both the quarterbacks in this game on Saturday, you're talking, if we're getting them down barefooted, okay, and we're measuring these quarterbacks. These are sub six foot quarterbacks, right? Sure. And Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett. And I think for different reasons, the plan offensively for these teams might involve trying to get these guys outside the pocket by design mm-hmm. on occasion. More so for Stetson Bennett in terms of the deflected balls that he had a problem with against Alabama last year. I think for Bryce Young, just to help him sustain the game uh, from a pass protection standpoint Saturday, you might need to move him around a little bit uh, by design, but you know, still for Georgia offensively, this run game is where opponents continue to be hyper-focused and with good reason. It's a really solid Georgia offensive line. I'm not saying it's a great Georgia offensive line, but when you've got backs like Zamir White, you've got Uh, James Cook, who seems Mm -hmm. to be playing his best at the end of the season and offers more of that home run threat than, say, uh, Zamir White or Kenny McIntosh and certainly Kendall Milton being down right now. Um, And then the way that Georgia goes about its business, uh, you know, we talk about the tight ends. It's not just Brock Bowers. It's Sean Fitzpatrick. It's Darnell Washington. And Georgia will go with some sets that don't just have a tight end on the field. Uh, a lot of two tight ends, maybe even some three tight ends on occasion from Georgia. So uh, how the dogs go about their offensive plan, um, you know, and and understanding they don't want to get away from what's gotten them here. Sure. Um, but can they get more in the passing game uh, than from just, say, a Brock Bowers? Can a Lad McConkey mm-hmm. on the outside give them some? You talked about George Pickens. What will his level of involvement realistically be? at this point in his return from injury. You know, Jermaine Burton's a guy to keep an eye on as well. Uh, He's another one of these 17, 18-yard per reception guys. Doesn't get a lot of catches. He had a touchdown catch against Alabama 
a year ago. So you know more of the names from the Alabama side of things where Jamison Williams and John Mechie uh, are concerned. But some of these some of these wide receivers for Al, uh, for Georgia are going to need to uh, to validate themselves once again on Saturday. Uh, and uh, the three guys that you mentioned there, and and Bowers and McConkey and Burton, or uh, averaging more than fifteen yards per catch, uh, it, which uh, Bennett can kind of dump it off to various guys. And look, we know that how elusive. Uh, at this point, uh, <laughs> that uh, Young is for uh, Alabama, uh, but the really the thing I don't think gets much talked about, and you brought this up a few weeks ago, and I, and this kind of stuck in my mind. Uh, Trev, do people really realize what when he when he needs to be and maybe more more wants to be what a running threat? that Stetson Bennett can be to extend drives. He's averaging 6.3 yards per carry, and that's with sacks factored in. So that tells you he's not getting sacked a lot, and that when he does run the football, he's done it 38 times in 11 games, um, You know, he, he doesn't lose yardage, uh, which is typically you look at stat lines for quarterbacks and you look at their rushing numbers, and that column for loss usually entails a pretty pretty significant number. That hasn't been the case for Stetson Bennett. I mean, it's not just that Zamir White's averaging 5.4 and that James Cook is averaging 6.5 and Kenny McIntosh 5.7. Stetson Bennett is averaging 6.3 on 38 attempts. So certainly when you talk about stressing this Alabama defense, boy, inside linebackers, Henry Toa Toa, Christian Harris, between – having to deal with everything between the tackles with Zamir White and Cook and McIntosh perhaps to an extent, uh, you're going to have to you know, make sure you get Stetson Bennett on the ground when yes. he runs the football. And then part of it, too, in this matchup, a stressed position, man, inside linebacker for Alabama this week because there are times where with multiple tight ends on the field, a Christian Harris could find himself matched up in coverage against one of these Georgia tight ends. Uh, well, and I'm going to throw the running backs in there too, Trav, because they've got some wheel routes for these running backs. And these oh, yes, running they backs do. For, these running backs for Georgia are pretty good pass receivers, frankly. So it's kind of one of those things. Now, I, I think Alabama has used this less, but haven't we seen throughout the year that Bennett – uh, in the Georgia Brain Trust, not not afraid to even go deep with some of these running backs and certainly keeping, as we mentioned, drives going by, by dumping it down to them also. Well, just look at last year's matchup between Alabama and Georgia for more on that. Uh, Georgia formations in a way in which they get James Cook split out wide and man coverage against Christian Harris a linebacker Absolutely. and what results is an 82 yard bomb for a touchdown yeah. to James cook from Stetson Bennett. So yeah, I would expect to see something similar to that. <laughs> Not too long into Saturday's game uh, with these backs. And when you think about Alabama been very good against the run defensively this year, I think people would be surprised when you talk about just in terms of yards per, per carry from opponents, Alabama right there with Georgia, if not just a tick better than Georgia in terms of limiting yards per carry to a, a number around 2.5, 2.5, or even a little bit under. That being said, it seems like 
It's been the run-based offenses Mm -hmm. that have hit for the explosive plays against this Alabama defense in the passing game. Look at Tennessee. That's a run-based offense. Yes. Look at Arkansas. That's a run-based offense. Um, I'm not saying Georgia has a Traylon Burks uh, at the wide receiver position, but it can do some things to get even a Brock Bowers behind that Alabama secondary. Well, and you and I were both at the Gator game, uh, Trav, where they had now they had more run success uh, in the second half when Alabama was on the verge of blowing that game wide open, but they were able to hit a few over the middle, even with how limited that they have been this year at wide receivers. So uh, it, it, certainly just another thing for Bama to have to look at. Now, I do think, Trav, that, that Jalen Armour Davis – didn't play in the Iron Bowl. I think with him back, uh, that that's going to do a lot to help that secondary this weekend. With the emergence of Kool-Aid McKinstry, though, the true freshman five-star corner, what do you think the leash is like for Josh Job and Jalen Armour Davis? Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, I, think, yes. I think Kool-Aid McKinstry, they keep him hot over there on that sideline because Josh Job has dealt with some turf toe issues. Uh Armor Davis is coming off uh, an absence with the hip. Um, I don't think it's going to take a whole lot to get Kool-Aid McKinstry. And the last couple of weeks, what we've seen from this Alabama staff, whether it's defense or offense, Nick Saban hasn't been shy to go to the bullpen in-game in some of these matchups. Well, well, and Trev, look no further uh, than one of the key plays of the game, uh, Kool-Aid knocking the ball down in the end zone, right? So, uh, and see, that's what – Kool-Aid's a risk-reward guy is he's going to blow a little bit, but uh, doesn't Saban know that he can reward with some big plays, and that's certainly what they've seen from him this year. Yeah, he's he's a star in the making, no doubt about it, Kool-Aid McKinstry. When we look at things from the Alabama offensive side of things, is it as simple as just saying, can Alabama in any form or fashion block Georgia and – what are you kind of expecting for this Alabama offensive line? Because we talk about in-game changes uh, from the last two games. Well, the Auburn game, you saw Seth McLaughlin come in at the center right. position there early in the third quarter. You saw Chris Owens replace Damian George at right tackle. I guess we got to start with just maybe the five that we expect to see open the game for Alabama on that side of the ball and uh, that side of the trench and and go from there. Well, and when you've got uh, a Jordan Davis that you've got to account for and, and very possibly Georgia's best front seven that they may have ever had. Tra- Trav, I've, <clears throat> in, in, in doing various shows this week, a lot of talk about Bama spreading the field uh, the, the, with the reality of when uh, they have bunched together, had a couple of tight ends, even on third or fourth and short, they just really cannot get a push. My my question with this is, uh, it, uh, is this something that Bama could sustain throughout the game by, by spreading the field, by putting uh, three wide, four wide, or whatever you're going to do with that uh, to, to spread it enough? Because Georgia beat riders, again, we've been consistent with this, have told us all year long, if you can get into that Georgia secondary, if the quarterback has 
time to throw, that that's going to be huge. So I, I'm I'm curious, as you said, uh, what's Bama going to do with personnel on the offensive line, and what is that scheme going to be, Trav, to try to protect them and give them some help? Yeah, that's going to be everything for the Alabama offense. And again, that's understanding. I don't think there's any question that the matchup Georgia would absolutely not like to see on a consistent basis is Jamison Williams and John Mechie going against that Georgia secondary with an emphasis on the corners and also the slot corner position with Bryce Young having some time or through schematic or play design uh, being offered the time to, to really go to work on Keely Ringo against Darian Kendrick against slot corner Latavius Brainy. Um, that hasn't been something opponents have been able to do. Certainly not with the quality of passer that Bryce Young is, and even with a one-two punch at wide receiver like Jamison Williams and John Mechie. So that's going to be critical. I don't think Alabama's going to come out four and five wides. I do think there are some things they can do from a personnel perspective, Mm -hmm. from 11 personnel. I think they're going to keep a tight end on the field a lot to go along with a back. But this is where a Jalil Billingsley, if you can get him to awaken from his season-long slumber, (laughs) can be a real factor in this as well. Because then you add Billingsley in some of these matchups with Mechie, with Jamison Williams, Trey Sanders isn't an experienced guy if he has to go extensively at the running back position. But what we've seen from him, even dating back to his days at IMG, is that he is a capable receiver. Um, Yeah, the quick game, I think, the swing and screen game is going to need to be in effect because from a traditional run game perspective, I just don't think you go into this thinking you're going to run for 150 plus. So you have to come up with some different ways. There has to be some creativity from Bill O'Brien. Um, and some guys that got to play older than they are, you know, Seth McLaughlin, if he's the guy at center, uh, you know, going against a Jordan Davis and uh, Devontae uh, Wyatt there, those defensive tackle spots, you know, it's not just that there's still some physical maturity that needs to take place for guys like Javion Cohen and Seth McLaughlin. It's that they're second year guys and Davis and uh, Wyatt, you're talking about seniors, these are yes. grown people, mm-hmm. uh, physically, mentally matured. <laughs> yeah. And that's where Alabama had the advantage last year uh, in this sort of matchup on offense because Landon Dickerson wasn't just a dominant physical player. He was a fifth-year senior. Mm-hmm. Deontay Brown, fifth-year senior. Now you've got second-year guys in those spots, and you flip it, and Georgia now has that advantage in experience uh, to go along with everything else those guys bring uh, from a physical perspective. So – Brent, let's talk about Bryce Young in terms of his Heisman hopes and how they are tethered to this game on Saturday. What will qualify as enough, in your opinion, as a Heisman Trophy voter for Bryce to have his name called as the winner of the 2021 Heisman Trophy? Win or lose, what does he need to do from an individual award perspective? Uh, when you look at the Heisman Trophy odds uh, as of today, uh, you've got uh, Bryce Young is in first place. C.J. Stroud is second. Matt Corral is third. Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Adian Hutchinson, defensive end from Michigan. My goodness, uh, Trav, if 
if Hutchinson from Michigan is in there, uh, shouldn't Will Anderson be in there too? Hutchinson went there. <laughs> well, Hutchinson went off against Ohio State in a game True. that apparently was viewed by what sixteen million people. Yeah, yeah that so makes a difference. Absolutely. You talk about cashing on a big stage, but no, just in terms of season long performance, I'm with you on Will Anderson. I'm just trying to make some sense of it. And I think that's where it, it kind of comes together for Aiden Hutchinson. I, I think for Bryce young, what in the mind, you, you hear this from Heisman voters every year. Uh, it, it, I don't Trav, I don't think it's so much the yardage uh, as in the minds of a lot of Heisman voters. How many mistakes did he make? Uh, did, did he play? Did he play a clean game? Were they were they in position to be able to either win the game or was it close at the end? Um, I mean, uh, is this a game where where Young needs to throw what thirty forty times uh, in a game like this? Uh, and, and listen, uh, Heisman voters are humans. And there's this Alabama fatigue, and and some people are going to laugh about this, but I think it's out there. Trav would would Heisman would with a Heisman trust with, with with these voters scattered across the nation, would they would they vote for for two Alabama Heisman winners two years in a row? Yeah, there there is some there is some some things to consider from that perspective. No doubt about it. I, I I agree with the assessment that I don't think Bryce necessarily, Alabama necessarily needs to win the game Saturday for Bryce Young to still win the Heisman Trophy. I don't think he can afford a three or four interception type no, performance no. and Alabama gets just rolled. Um, but the opportunity is undoubtedly there because as we've talked about throughout the podcast, if you're Alabama, you're putting the game uh, you're putting the ball in the game in the hands of your best players sure. and offensively for Alabama right now, there's no doubt that's Bryce young. That's Jamison Williams. That's John Mechie. And so that's essentially how this thing's going to work for Alabama on that side of the ball on Saturday. And, uh, you know, uh, he gets his last crack. He gets the last interview, mm-hmm. uh, for this situation. It's almost like recruiting with having the last yes. home visit, right? Yes. That's what Bryce Young is going to have Saturday afternoon in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, something else we never talk about enough is special teams, too. And that's where I think Georgia could have another advantage in this game because who would have thunk it, right, Brent? We're talking (laughs) about issues on Alabama special teams, but we're not really talking about the kicker. Alabama's fine with Will Reichard. Made a couple of big kicks in the Iron Bowl last Saturday, including a 38-yarder in overtime to extend the game. Um, but in other areas of the kicking game, Alabama has had its struggles, no doubt about it, this year. And then you look at Georgia, and even maybe more so with an emphasis on the punting game. You know, you look at the numbers and punting between Alabama and Georgia, mm-hmm. and this ends up being the sort of defensive game some people sure. are anticipating. Yes. The difference between Georgia and Alabama every time they punt the ball is Georgia comes out almost a first down ahead right. of Georgia with Jake Camarda in comparison to James Burnett for Alabama. And that's before we talk about blocking kicks, something that Georgia has excelled at this year as well, and something that we've seen Alabama give up. Field position is so critical in a game like this. We saw in the Auburn game and, and give them all kinds of credit uh, as far as 
um, the uh, being able to go 90 something yards to be able to tie the game. But but Trev, when you can't run the ball or you're struggling to run the ball, uh, i.e. In that Auburn game, I thought I thought their punting game was huge. Being able to and they they pin Alabama close to the goal line two or three times in a in a game of this magnitude on Saturday. I don't think there's any doubt that that could be huge. And listen to what we've been talking about, Bryce Young, as far as his receivers, a real bugaboo for these this receiving court Alabama is drop passes. So, uh, but is this, Trev, is this the type of a game that you, you, have, a, you have an ultra-focus, incredible motivation that overrides some of these drops? And, uh, look, I, I, know, I know Alabama, the punting game is not going to go, they're not going to turn into Ray Guy overnight, but I'm, just, but, but I'm just wondering, being an underdog and the, and the motivation that you've got uh, playing a, on a stage like this with what's at stake, how that might affect Alabama in, in some of the things they've struggled with over the last few weeks. No doubt about it. And, you know, look, if you're George, if you're Alabama this week and you're punting the football, just punt, just get the thing out. Yes, you know, that absolutely. will be, I know I talked about the difference in average and things like that. And, and, and that could prove important at some point late in the game, but, uh, the one thing you don't want to do in a game like this is give up non-offensive touchdowns Correct. Um, or set up an opponent on the doorstep for what is essentially a non-offensive touchdown because the anticipation being that this is going to be a tight game and certainly those type of plays can swing it one way or the other. Georgia goes in as a six-and-a-half point favorite. You can literally count on like one hand, yeah. right? The number of times <laughs> sure Alabama has been an underdog in the last 13, mm-hmm. 14 years. Um, the last time was to the Georgia Bulldogs That's back right. in 2015. What do you think about that number as we head into the latter stages of the week and Georgia there as a six and a half point favor? We're not trying to tell you. We're not <laughs> trying to ask you, Brent, to tell yeah. people what to do with their hard-earned coin. Right, but right. how does that how does that number strike you? Just looking at it as a you know a fan and a and a, a media member. Well, I think it's uh, it's uh, ultra motivation for Alabama. And again, we know you don't win games like this uh, on motivation because that can maybe last a play or something like that uh, along that line. But I think it I think it tells me what Las Vegas thinks about uh, the line of scrimmage. Uh, about Georgia. I think what Trev doesn't it say they think that Georgia is the more complete get team have played more complete games compared to what Alabama has done at this point being yes, this is rarefied air for the tide uh, in, in being an underdog uh, in, and will be uh, it, when you like be a fly on the wall in some of these meetings as the coaches address that. Yeah, I, I think um, sort of the perception is accurate. Um, I do think Georgia's been the more complete team. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The numbers prove it out. The manner in which Georgia goes about its business on a weekly basis proves that out. The manner in which Georgia has gone about its business on a play-by-play business, just steady, consistent, uh, dominant over long, long stretches 
that's been Georgia way more so than yes. Alabama this year. But it's not a best of seven. It's not a best of five. It's not even a best of three. It's a one-game playoff for the Southeastern Conference Championship, and there are intangibles to take into consideration here. Uh, the tightness factor, p- perhaps, for both teams, uh, will that hit one of them? We understand the absolute heartbreak mm-hmm. Georgia has had in this town to this Alabama program throughout the years. Does any of that potentially factor into it? You wouldn't think so, considering you know the time between these games and the difference in rosters and the turnover with players. Um, and then there's also been the narrative this week of, well, Alabama's been more battle-tested. I, I don't take that as sort of a a deterrent on Georgia. Like you've been too dominant. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. works against you this really? week. That being said, I don't think it hurts Alabama either, especially on the offensive side of the ball to have seen the ball go through the hoop on multiple occasions just last week and coming back from a deficit. I, I, you know, Georgia gets out to a, a 10, nothing, even 14, nothing lead mm-hmm. on Saturday. I don't think you can write this Alabama team off and that no. it, it wouldn't be, it won't be easy. But again, think about 2012. Georgia was in great position in that game in Atlanta. 2018, January of 2018, double-digit lead, second half. Alabama comes back to win. Double-digit lead 11 months later in the SEC championship game, second half. Alabama comes back to win. Uh, Last week was boogeyman week for Alabama with the trip to Jordan-Hare. Is this week boogeyman week for the Bulldogs? Uh, I, look, uh, the, the, you can't help but think in a game like this and people uh, ridicule Kirby Smart for some of his decisions and big games, but I don't think you can overlook that, Trav, as a possibility like the fake punt in the game against Alabama just a few years ago. And uh, look, I think the mindset is also important here. Georgia thinks they can win this game. Alabama also knows it can win a game like this. I think I think that is something important to keep in mind here. But uh, but in Trav, if this is if this is a close game in the fourth quarter, and Kirby's going to be making as he will important decisions does some of those ghosts come out from somewhere in a game like this i just can't imagine another fake punt call in a tie game no i can't either late in the fourth <laughs> quarter i just can't envision that kirby had to learn from those things sure he did i you know i, I think it's a game that kirby should feel like he can pretty much stay out of the way of his team and have a mm-hmm. great chance to get over this hump uh but you don't know you don't know well, until you play it out well, and look, it also needs to be said uh, that, and look, I know he wants to win the game. I get that, but it also maybe in the back of their mind, George is going to the playoffs, win or lose. So I, I wonder, I wonder what kind of factor that might be too. Yeah, you wonder, but there's a championship at stake. Yeah, and I think the incentive for Georgia is if you're able to win by a number. Mm-hmm. You don't have to see. You don't have to even think about seeing Alabama again. If you right. beat Alabama by a field goal True. Saturday, it only takes one or two things in one of it these does. other games. Absolutely, to put yourself in that position of having to slay the beast twice on the way to a national championship. Potentially, uh, you win by ten, fourteen, twenty-one, whatever. Uh, you, you're probably not going to have to worry as much about seeing this Alabama team again during the 2021 season. And we talk about some of the other games. Coming up this weekend, 
Uh, we get things going actually on conference championship weekend on Friday with that. Uh, we got the CUSA game, Western Kentucky at Texas San Antonio, but a more particular interest will be that night, Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And then, of course, Saturday you get things going early with a very impactful Big 12 championship game, Baylor taking on Oklahoma State, uh, Houston at Cincinnati, a very impactful game, uh, simultaneous with the Alabama-Georgia game on Saturday. Uh, Cincinnati looking to perhaps punch its ticket to the college football playoff. Uh, you got Iowa-Michigan in primetime on Saturday night in the Big 12 championship, uh, Big 10, excuse me, championship game. When you think about the potential for chaos, um, let's say if Alabama were to lose to Georgia on Saturday, what's a scenario that you think is most likely to play out where things could be just absolutely in the ditch as far as Sunday selection show for the four-team college football playoff, um, most likely to happen. Is it Oklahoma State falling to Baylor? Is it Houston going to Cincinnati and getting a win? Is it Iowa upsetting Michigan in the Big Ten game? Uh, is it a combination of those for you, Brent? Uh, I, I think it's a combination. I, I don't see Iowa beating Michigan, frankly, um, I think Michigan's playing too well right now, but uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor, uh, listen, Oklahoma State barely got by Oklahoma. I mean, it was a great win for them. We understand that. So uh, I think Baylor is very capable of winning that game. Uh, that, that would certainly help Alabama. And even though the game's in Cincinnati, Trav, listen, Houston, is they've got enough where that they could win that game. Bell, their D coordinator at Houston, rumored maybe coming to Florida with Billy Napier. So um, th- th- those, I think those are the games that, that you look at as we look at the rankings with Cincinnati 4, Oklahoma State 5. Then, of course, you've also got Notre Dame, uh, in a situation, could they move up through that chaos too? So if Alabama loses, I still think it would be hard for them to get in. But yes, uh, if Cincinnati and Oklahoma State lost behind them, then that would be a, a huge difference for the Tide. So the table is set for what should be an absolutely great weekend of college football, and it's all going to be centered <laughs> on the game in Atlanta, Alabama and Georgia. Brent, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, one thing I do want to mention real quick, and we'll talk about this a little bit more um, as it goes along in coaching, but I give uh, uh, so much has been said uh, about uh, Georgia in its, uh, but I think, I think one guy that doesn't get enough credit, Trav, Dan Lanning, their D coordinator, I, I really appreciate the job that he's done. Doesn't say much. I think doesn't get enough of the headlines that he needs. Uh, I'm going to be real curious, Trav, as some of these, shall we say, maybe smaller jobs come open. Will will his name be mentioned as a possibility uh, for, for some of those jobs? And in your mind, has he got the credit he deserves for the job he's done? It's a guy that a couple of years ago, I think, was making $500,000 a year as a coordinator. 
Yeah. And uh, that's changed quickly in the last yes. year or two, and it's going to continue <laughs> to change. I think if you're Dan Lanning, you've got the guy to look at that you're working for in Kirby Smart. Remember Kirby at Alabama seemed like year in and year out, not just you know group of five jobs like Southern Miss or some of these mm-hmm. gigs. You know, Kirby turned down some opportunities to talk with folks like Arkansas, Auburn, um, and just waited it out until the Georgia opportunity presented itself. And uh, if you're Dan Lanning, I think it's going to probably have to be something along those lines. You just see Marcus Freeman be elevated Mm -hmm. to the head coach at Notre Dame for crying out loud. So, um, yeah, I, I think Dan Lanning's in a great spot. Uh, for a number of reasons. And yeah, I think he's a guy that uh, because of Kirby's background on defense, similar to Nick Saban's at Alabama, regardless of who the coordinator is, it's going to be tough for that guy to probably get the the notoriety he deserves. Well, Brent, as always, appreciate the time. Always a lot of fun. And I know we are looking forward to an absolutely huge weekend of college football and look forward to recapping it all next week. We'll have some uh, Heisman Trophy to preview as well coming up. And who knows where that coaching (laughs) carousel will have taken us in four or five days' time. Uh, Appreciate uh, Bill Oakley for what Bill does for us, our our listeners. uh, As we and look, uh, we've got plenty to go on. We've got uh, uh, we'll we'll be talking bowls next week, Trav. That that's one thing that kind of gets lost a little bit in this too. But it will be a lot of fun. Certainly appreciate today, and we'll look forward to our next episode. Yeah, if you haven't already subscribed to Second Helping, we would certainly appreciate it if you would do so. Anywhere you consume podcasts, you're going to find Second Helping. For Brent Beard, for executive producer Bill Oakley, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping. Have a great weekend, everybody.